Welcome to Sips and Ish, the podcast where we mix cocktails, real talk, and incredible guests. I'm your host, Alex Nepa, and today we've got DJ Digital Dave, and we're drinking a Tom Collins, and we're going to tell you all about that. But before we do, I want to direct you guys to our website, sipsandish.com. On our website, you could find out all about our guests. You could find out all about our cocktails and the recipes to make those cocktails, as well as upcoming events. And of course, check out our merch store. Every week, we create a unique craft cocktail for our guests, and this week is no different. Dave told me that he was a big fan of gin and that he liked the Tom Collins beverage here and there. He thought it was a good good beverage to not get lit, not to get turned up, but to just enjoy over a conversation. So I had to come up with my twist on that. I know that Digital Dave's DJ sets are a roller coaster ride and full of surprises and unique twists. So I figured, what can I do to make this Tom Collins delicious but also unique. I used one of the best gins in the world, Michael Monkey 47 Schwarzwald Dry Gin. It's an absolutely fantastic gin on its own and it shines through in this cocktail. We used one ounce of freshly squeezed lemon juice, a half ounce of house infused rosemary simple syrup. What I did was take my basic house simple syrup, which is one out, one part of uh, sugar and one part water and you kind of mix them up together over heat but I shoved a ton of rosemary in there to get some rosemary flavor. And then we topped with Prosecco or champagne instead of your traditional club soda. To make this, if you're making it at home, just take two ounces of gin, one ounce of freshly squeezed lemon juice, a half ounce of that home house infused rosemary simple syrup mixture, and you put it into a cocktail shaker over ice, shake it for about 30 seconds till it's ice cold, pour it into a iced, cocktail glass such as a Tom Collins or Highball which is what I'd use and then top it off with Prosecco and you garnish with a lemon wheel and brandy cherry. If you're looking for a quick tip on making a cocktail I always actually pour the cocktail into the glass and add ice after. Um, it just uh, helps prevent against diluting further. Um, obviously when you shake it up in the shaker you get some dilution but now that you've got your cocktail ready, now that you've got your cocktail Let's get ready to talk to our guest, DJ Digital Dave. Now that we've got our beverage in hand, we can take a sip, and I want to tell you all about our guest today, DJ Digital Dave from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's the official in-game DJ for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's the official in-game DJ for Pitt Basketball. He's the official in-game DJ for Pitt Football. And the dude is one of the hardest, actually not one of, he is the hardest working DJ in the industry, playing over 400 events a year all on his own. He does everything, like I said before, from sporting events to nightclubs across the country like Las Vegas, San Diego, Miami, you name it, Dave has been there. And of course, he reigns supreme in his hometown of Pittsburgh. But Dave does weddings, he does corporate on a very, very high level. Dave is one of the most creative DJs you're ever going to meet, and he is a great, great, great conversation for the podcast. I enjoyed the hell out of talking to him, and that just goes without saying, I met Dave all the way back in the MySpace days. It was It's, it's crazy how far we back we go, and I always tell Dave that he knows more about me than I know about myself. At our conversation, we talk all about Dave's struggles during the pandemic. We talk about Dave actually learning how to ride a bike at 40 years old. We talk about how Dave has shifted to educating other DJs during the pandemic. 
and we also talk about some of Dave's craziest nightclub stories, including a shooting and Dave getting punched out, not just once, but twice. It's a hell of a conversation, so hopefully you're drinking along with us. Hopefully you enjoy the listen, we'll be right back with DJ Digital Dave. We're going to get started and talk to Dave in just a second, but before we do that, I want to tell you guys all about how you can look like the coolest alcohol connoisseur in the world. Hit up sipsandish.com forward slash merch. We have all kinds of logo swag as well as drinking swag. That's right, everything from hoodies to t-shirts and of course, a ton of really cool St. Patrick's Day t-shirts as well. Get all of your drinking swag at sipsandish.com. Help support our show and show your love for the overindulgence of alcoholic beverages. Now, let's get started with the podcast. Sips and Ish. Man, I feel like I need gin and juice playing in the background instead of my royalty-free theme song. We've got DJ Digital Dave, Dave Lander, one of my best friends. I want to thank him for joining us here today. Um, I introduced this in the beginning of the podcast, but I made Dave... Um, based on his um, feedback, I made him my take on a Tom Collins. And I didn't just do a plain Tom Collins, as I described before. I had to kind of spritz it up a little bit. I used a really good Monkey 47 gin. And I used a rosemary simple syrup. And then we topped it off instead of topping off with a club. We've got a little Prosecco because to quote uh, famed bartender Sasha Petrosky, you don't drink champagne on Tuesday. Can't explain it. That's his saying. But we've got a Dave here. Dave, how bubbly. You? A little bit of the bubbly. Dave, how you doing? Good. How about yourself? Doing awesome, man. Doing awesome. I got, got my drink here. Got so my Dave's my two-step. <laughs> I'm gonna probably drink from a little bit of the prosecco here too. So Dave and I were talking a little bit earlier today, as Dave mentioned, a little bit of the bubbly. Uh, that's a wrestling reference. We were talking about terrible wrestling gimmicks earlier. Dave, tell me your favorite terrible wrestling gimmicks. So, well, I, I don't, if they're my favorite, I don't know if they're terrible or not, but uh, <laughs> I, I was a big Jake the Snake fan back in the day. Uh, I always thought it was, you know, they'd show the, the, the snake in the bag in the corner and you never knew if the snake was going to come out, you know, if he was going to get it and throw it on his opponent. So I was a big fan of Jake the Snake, obviously the Undertaker. I mean, that was the gimmick that was so good that even after wrestling left the gimmick era, it still stayed around because it was that good. And then uh, the other two, I was, I dug the uh, Brooklyn brawler who was, you know, a scrub, but he always got beaten. He was one of the jobbers, but he was just a fun character to me. He was basically like, just looked totally disheveled and, uh, you know, always had a ripped white undershirt and jeans. He'd wrestle in jeans. And then, uh, you know, my other favorite, because it was so bad it was good kind of thing was the repo man because the repo <laughs> man would come in he'd come in matches that he wasn't even part of and he'd steal things from ringside like he'd repossess the intercontinental championship belt or something like that so i always thought the repo man was a fun one too there were some times uh, when i was not so great at paying my bills in my 20s and then people like the repo man and irs just scared the shit out of me in real life <laughs> too too real it's way too real for me, way too real. So I've got some questions here. Um, you know, and we're just going to be a loose conversation. We're going to drink a little bit. And God, it's uh, it's been a long day for you, haven't it? Am I getting Dave in a bad mood? It's It's been a long day. It, it has not been has not been the best of days for me, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're working through it. I had a few 2021 wedding postponements today. 
Um, one of one of which was a date in which I'd already turned down a Las Vegas wedding to uh, because I'd already had this booked. It was a DC wedding and it was already booked. And I turned down a Vegas wedding because I had this DC wedding booked. And now the DC wedding is postponing. So that one was like especially painful because I, I was, you know, I could have had an, uh, you know, I, I lost, you know, a great wedding because of it, yeah. uh, because of holding the date. So it's it's hard. And I've said to brides and grooms, it's it's a tough thing now, because on one hand, I completely understand, even though now there's people moving, not because of government restrictions, because they're not allowed to, but because of government restrictions, and they might have to be at half capacity or have social distancing with tables and things like that. And I full, fully understand with your wedding day, you'd want to have your full on wedding the way you envisioned it. I mean, this is the most money you're ever spending on one day in your life. But at the same time, it's also hard as on us, you and me and, and everyone else we know as vendors, when the government's going to allow a wedding to happen, it's still allowed to happen. And we're still being told, hey, we got to change dates. And, you know, our dates are our inventory for us. Yeah, no kidding, man. It's uh, it's a headache. I have not had uh, any 2021, uh, a ton of 2020 movement. I've had some, but not a lot. Not a lot. Um, so in the in the pre um, in the introduction to this podcast, I, I told all the all the listeners about your schedule, and I'm not even gonna say you're one of. You're probably the like not even probably the busiest DJ in a non-pandemic situation that I know. I use the analysis of, um, you know, every once in a while, I'll call you on a Monday, I'll look at my calendar and I'll say, Dave, yo, like I've got five gigs this week, I'm gonna be crushed. And uh, you'll say, hey, Alex, I have five gigs on Saturday. How do you handle yeah, that schedule? That's, that's pretty much life, non-pandemic life for me. Uh, the two people that I know that have come close to me, we, we used to always jokingly rival with each other's calendars. Our, uh, our homie Freefall, which who you know uh, in um, or Orlando, and, and a funny story, once actually Freefall and Alex were both staying at my house on the same night, and they ended up, my son Champ at the time had a bunk bed. I only have one son, but he wanted a bunk bed when he was little. I think he felt more secure in it. There was like a roof on the bed. So Alex and Freefall both stayed on the top and, and lower bunks of Champ's bunk bed. Uh, <laughs> about three, four years ago. And the other person is Flips from DC, uh, who's been a homie of mine for a long, long time. And the two of them, I think they've mellowed out both a little bit. But yeah, they used to have pretty hardcore schedules. But the most I ever played in one day, I had five gigs, literally five gigs on a Saturday, 23 hours from when I left my house to when I got home. I started out with a 5k at stage AE. It was it's like a huge 5k, probably 5,000 people. And then I went to this little birthday party that wanted me so badly. It was, it was a tiny backyard birthday party, but they wanted me so badly. They were willing to schedule the party exactly around my schedule. Like whenever I could come they're like, we're going to schedule the party. So, so I do this party, which is actually about an hour and a half outside the city. And then I do a wedding, which is an hour and a half outside the city in a different direction, in a different direction in Washington, PA. So now I've also, the first three gigs were in three separate counties. And then I came back to Pittsburgh and played at Cabo, which is one of my uh, long-term Saturday night residencies that you know, I'm not there every week, but I'm there pretty frequently on Saturdays. And that's a big bottle service club. It's lots of fun. One of my favorite gigs of all time. 
And then I went to Tilden, which is an after hours club where we're playing tech house and, you know, basically house music without words most of the night. And it's just kind of a great after hours vibe. But um, I had five gigs in one day, all completely, all five were completely different from one another. And I left my house and I believe around 645 on Saturday morning. And I got home around 545, you know, Saturday night into Sunday morning. Jesus, man, that's insane, insane. Um, so how's the adjustment been then, like leading into a, an era where you're doing absolutely not not much, um, you know, like two, two weeks to slow the spread turns into 10 months. Like, how's that adjustment been for you? Well, it's funny because the day was Groundhog Day and we had Groundhog uh, Day on with Bill Murray earlier on TV <laughs> here. And and basically that's that's been two weeks to slow the spread has basically been Groundhog Day since last March. But uh, it's been an adjustment and there's been great positives and great negatives over the past year. Uh, the first thing that I come to think of is I learned how to ride a bike. And I literally, as a child, never learned how to ride a bike. And I, I had a bike at one point, maybe I was seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there, never learned how to ride it, never bought another one. Uh, my parents never got me another one. I didn't learn how to ride the one that I had. And so I never knew how to ride a bike. So my son, Champ, who's now 12, he learned obviously a few years back and my wife rides. She never really rode when we first met and were dating and were married. But then when Champ started riding, she bought a new bike and she started riding with him. So the two of them are riding together. And then I felt one left out and two lame because I couldn't ride a bike. So I decided this was very early in quarantine back in March, April, I decided, you know what, every day, I'm going to go out after dinner and I'm going to work at this until I learn how to ride a bike. And so every day I go out for maybe half hour, 45 minutes. And after maybe about four or five days, I kind of would get a good coast going. I wasn't fully there, but I was, you know, I could tell I was making progress. And I would say after about maybe, you know, seven to 10 days, I was, I was pretty solid. I was doing a good job and me and me and Champ and Kelly together, and more specifically, some just me and Champ went out quite a bit over the summer. So that was a lot of fun. And spending time with Champ and Kelly is a lot of fun because, as you know, too, from my schedule, not only am I always working when I'm in Pittsburgh, but I also am out of town quite frequently and in Tampa and Miami and D.C. and Philly and Jersey and Las Vegas and all over the country. And also speaking at conferences in addition to DJing. So it's just been nice on some level. I'm finally getting a little stir crazy with winter and be, having to be inside all the time and not being able to go out and ride bikes and take walks and jog and stuff. So I'm finally getting a little stir crazy, but there's been a lot of you know niceness to spending that extra family time with Champ and Kelly and, and doing things like learning to ride a bike. I painted a couple uh, different bedrooms over the... Uh, <laughs> quarantine you know over over the the uh two weeks to slow the spread so it's definitely been there's obviously been negatives but there's been some positives too so you know it's not all good not all bad yeah man i can definitely relate to the family thing it's um it's nice to have that time especially i've got a three-year-old here but there's definitely a point where it drives you crazy one of the things i wanted to ask you about because i know prior to the pandemic you had just kind of gotten started on this and I feel like it was a good shift for you and uh, a positive out of a negative was the speaking circuit and the education and training thing. 
Um, I can remember you doing it on a very small scale prior to the pandemic, but it seems like you're kind of kind of getting more and more and it's kind of escalating and blowing up for you. Yeah, so it's going really great for me. I spoke at the, I guess, tipping point for all this. I'd spe- spoken some smaller events um, and some smaller places, but I spoke last year on the main stage at DJ Collective in Arizona. Well, not last year at this point, two years ago, 2019, November. And I almost don't count 2020 as a year. Like if I say last year, I mean 2019. I, I feel like 2020 doesn't even count as a year. When <laughs> it's, it's like the old school elevators that didn't have a 13th floor um, back in the day. We don't talk but about any, it. Anyways, so that was a big tipping point. And I spoke there on programming. And the reason I wanted to speak on programming is because I felt like it's I, why not. I feel like I know it is the most important part of what we do as DJs, but yet it's something that nobody ever speaks about. You go to these conferences and the speakers are talking about marketing and they're talking about uh, equipment and gear and public speaking and sales and selling yourself and branding and your website. But nobody's talking about the heart of what we do, which is the music that we select that we play at our events. And so I felt there was a huge void there. I spoke about it. I got tremendously positive feedback and really that started a huge domino effect. I spoke privately uh, with a few DJ companies uh, in Kentucky and Ohio, I, I spoke, uh, they, they brought me in to kind of give an extended version of my speech from the collective. And then last year I was scheduled to speak at the marquee show in Chicago. I was scheduled to speak, uh, at the DJ expo in Atlantic city. I was scheduled to speak at think tank in, which was in, um, Hilton head. I believe I was scheduled to speak at wedding MBA which was uh, in Vegas. And I was also scheduled to speak at the DJ collective again, which was supposed to be in Asheville, North Carolina. And all of that got canceled. Some of it got made virtual, but, but I did the two private um, talks before COVID happened. And then everything else pretty much got pushed. But uh, this year I'm already officially on the books for DJ collective, which is again in Arizona. I am going to be speaking uh, definitely at Marquee Show, which is in Chicago. So those two things are locked in and Think Tank's locked in as well. Uh, that just got you know pushed back a year and that's still at Hilton Head. So those three I'm still speaking at. And my understanding for Wedding MBA is they were bringing back all the speakers since really last year didn't get to happen in person. So I should, there's nothing confirmed yet, but I should be at Wedding MBA again. And I'm assuming the same would hold true for the DJ Expo at Atlantic City. I'll hopefully be speaking on that same circuit this year that I was supposed to speak on last year. Yeah. I remember think tank. I used to be in that thing. That was cool. <laughs> kind of miss it sometimes. Um, so I want to talk about um, your DJ sets and I know that people that are listening here might not be DJs uh, might not understand this might go over their head, but I also anticipate a ton of DJs um, listening to this. Um, one of the reasons why I chose the drink I chose was um, when we interview and, and when we uh, select guests for the show, and obviously I reached out to Dave personally and said, Dave, I want you to be my first guest. There's an interview form they fill out and, you know, I make a drink based on kind of their feedback, what they like, what they don't like. And Dave specifically said, yo, I want a Tom Collins. And I had actually never drank a Tom Collins before, so I don't have a reference point on this. It's a very varied, uh, it's a variation on Tom Collins for sure. You could actually give it a different name if you wanted to. But as I drink this, I realize it's a little bit tart. So I'm making a little bit of a, a, a pucker, a sour face, which is kind of what people do when they listen to DJ Digital Dave's uh, sets 
because it's like that, oh shit, he just did that kind of thing. So, and that's a nice segue here on my part, <laughs> verbally, but let's talk about Dave's uh, DJ sets and kind of what your inspiration is, because I feel like musically and song choice wise, a lot of DJs play the song, same songs. And I think Serato, or, which is the software we use, is kind of a, a proponent for that since it's sorted digitally by beats per minute. But um, Dave does it in a way and constructs his set in a way that is like fucking just the next level, next step up. So uh, if you can just share some basic thought process behind that. Well, so the big thing that I'm trying to do in any night, and this doesn't matter if it's a wedding or if it's a corporate event or if it is a nightclub or a bar, casino, I'm trying to, well, it's twofold. One, I'm trying to take people on a musical journey and in an essence tell a story, but I'm also trying to, a big thing for me is I'm trying to create moments and I'm trying to create those oh shit, I can't believe he played that song moment. Play, playing that song that someone, you know, takes them back to high school, takes them back to college, takes them back to a, a different time in their life. And and so I, I look for those songs that are great songs, that were loved songs, that were songs that people were passionate about, but at the same time were songs that DJs kind of don't play anymore for whatever reason, they just fell off the map. So I, I'm always looking through music, whether it be old charts, whether it be listening to other DJs or listening to Spotify playlists, or I mean, old music charts are a big thing for me, but I'm always going and trying to figure out what is that song that I can play, that I can create this moment that nobody was expecting, but is still gonna be a popular song and I think a lot of DJs just kind of go through you know the motions of playing similar songs all the time and I have this discussion with other DJs about weddings and and that's a big part of what my talk is about on programming is that it's it's okay to play your Bruno Mars's and your Earth Wind and Fire and Michael Jackson and Justin Timberlake that's all fine and I play all of that as well but you should not play only that because then there's no uniqueness to yourself. There's no flavor to yourself, to your set. And there's nothing that makes that set uniquely you. And nobody's ever going to walk away from a DJ. You could play Bruno Mars and Rihanna and, and Justin Timberlake and Prince and Madonna all night at a wedding, have a packed dance floor the entire night but nobody's going to walk away from that wedding remembering you or remembering that the music was unique because they've heard that music at a hundred other weddings. And so what I want to do, and I still do play those songs at weddings and those artists, but what I want to do is whether it's Waka Flocka Flame, whether it's Good Charlotte, whether it's, I remember one of my favorite reviews ever. And these were, I think most of this was on the request list. Some of it I might've thrown in on my own, but I had a wedding where, the uh, bride said something in my review on The Knot about when you have a DJ that can seamlessly mix from Annie Lennox into Carly Rae Jepsen and also throws Wu-Tang into the set, it's the best party ever. And and that was the, the core of her review about me was about the music. And people are going to remember, you know, I can't tell you how many times I get, oh, you're the DJ that played Rage Against the Machine at a party. You're the DJ that played, you know, 
uh, Fallout Boy at a party or, or, or Good Charlotte or something like that, you know, something people maybe ne weren't necessarily expecting. And so that's a big thing for me is, is taking people to a moment and taking people to a place that, that is meaningful to them and, and that they weren't that night walking into, they weren't expecting to go to that place. And when they do, that's when people are going to remember that set. And one of the slides in my presentation is that a good DJ, forget the exact verbiage, but it's basically in essence, a good DJ keeps people dancing all night. A great DJ makes that night memorable. Dude, absolutely, absolutely, man. I feel like to an extent, part of that is, um, I don't know whether we want to use the term like like the veteran term or whatever. Like maybe we want to want to call us grizzled young veterans, maybe because we're not like at the sixty plus you know disco era DJ um, stage, but we're also we lived through that mashup era, um, which is Dave and I met on MySpace, which he had to remind me where we met because I didn't didn't I didn't fucking remember. Dave knows more about me than I know, that's for sure. Uh, Dave, I can call Dave and he can probably tell me my medical history. I just have a better memory than you. Dude, I have a good memory for some things, but for most things, it kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, I had no idea that you even like gin, which is, you know, another thing about tonight. Well, so so that's that's interesting. Let me go on a little tangent about that. So for me, drinking and what I drink really is all about the environment I'm in. And I'm never, you were probably never have and never will see me drinking gin in a nightclub because if I'm in a nightclub I'm going to be doing shots of Jameson or shots of tequila and and that's what I'm going to be doing because to me that's kind of what you're doing in a nightclub or I'm going to be drinking out of a out of a full-size bottle of uh <laughs> so but you know when I'm like kind of chilling like when kelly and i go out my wife and we go to we go to like new york once a year when it's not a pandemic and we'll go to find all these cool little craft cocktail bars and speakeasies and when i'm just in that kind of just chilling mood to me that's that's like gin time so so i i really have different types of drinks for different, I guess, vibes in, in different environments. So gin is just my, you know, it's, you know, what, what is it here? Tuesday night, you know, just Tuesday evening, taking it easy. It's, it's, that's a, that's a gin vibe for me. Yeah. Nice, man. So going, before we go back into the music talk, I do want to like talk a little bit more about gin. Are, are Tom Collins drinks usually this uh, tart? I would, I would say so. I mean, you might've been the, teeny touch heavy handed on the lime, but okay. I would say they're, they're very similar to this, but this is, this is a good Tom Collins and is definitely, this is definitely good gin. So okay. I, I applaud, I applaud the gin and I like the, the Prosecco with it as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad. It's a, it just adds that little touch. And uh, although I don't think the rosemary simple syrup's really coming out. I don't really, do you taste rosemary at all in that? I'm not really tasting it, although I was thinking a rosemary garnish would be great. Would, like just, you know, I, a little strip of rosemary. I feel like that would kind of give the the, the uh, nose feel and kind of the illusion that the, the syrup. Yeah, I agree there. Um, but going back into music or I was mentioning the grizzled young vets, kind of like obviously you and I had started in the um, late 90s, early 2000s, right around the same time. And but we kind of came to prominence and kind of came into our own in uh, what was referred to as the mashup era in the, that 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008. Um, 
And I, I feel like that like just gave us so much music credibility, whereas um, the current club scene is a straight up hip hop, straight up EDM. Um, any take on that? Do you think that's kind of a benefit to, to your musical knowledge? I, I think that was a benefit to my musical knowledge. I can say when I started and I started at 15 years old, I was DJing in a roller skating rink. And I can say I always had a thirst for more music. I always wanted to learn and know and listen to more music, experience more music, know more songs. So even when I first started in the mid 90s, I was always really I spent a lot of time learning my 80s at that point. So whether it was new wave 80s or funk R&B 80s or, you know, the early era of hip hop. I really spent a lot of time in the 90s. The 90s stuff, the new stuff was easy. I mean, I was a teenager. I was on top of everything that was coming out that was brand new. But I spent a lot of time really learning what came before me. And I'm still at, you know, 41 years old. I'm still spending time, you know, finding gems from the 80s and 70s that I didn't know or, or don't have. So uh, that was huge for me in that I always really spent a lot of time learning my music, but definitely the mashup era was huge on multiple levels. Uh, one, knowing, you know, you learned a lot of music there because you played a lot of music there. Also, two, I have some great, so many great edits from back in the day. Crooklyn Clan was the huge site to go to back in the day. And you had Discotech at that time was making mashups. They weren't making you know, remixes like they are nowadays. They were making mashups and you had DJ AM and you had DJ Scene and you had Kevin Scott and all these guys, Spider Scene, they were all on Crooklyn Clan and they were all making mashups. And so I have a lot of gems from back in the day that I'll bust out that even DJs are like, yo, where did you get that? And it was something that was super common in 2006, but you know, so many people that were DJing back then maybe aren't DJing right now. So not only knowing the music, but having the music still from that era has been huge for me. Also too, in that era, it was great. I was DJing at a place called Privilege, another one of my favorite ever residencies. It was an 1100 person bottle service club. It was early in the bottle service era. It had giant garage doors that opened outside. So you were inside, but you had this outside vibe. And there were something ridiculous, like 30 some bottle service sections. And the Penguins were there all the time. The Steelers were there all the time. Ben Roethlisberger would be there on New Year's Eve. It was just nuts. And it was so much fun. But the other cool thing was we had a guest in every weekend and it alternated from Friday to Saturday. So one weekend I would play the full night Friday night and then Saturday maybe we'd have Kevin Scott in and I would open for him. And then the next week, uh, Friday night, we'd have maybe DJ Sprite and I would open for him and then I would play the full night Saturday night. So, I mean, I got to hear Sprite there, Scene, Riz, AM, Jazzy Jeff, Kid Capri. I got to hear so many great DJs there and I love I still, at 41 years old, I still love listening to DJs and I still learn music, new music from DJs. And I've learned music even from DJs that probably aren't as good as me, but they they picked the right song at the right time or a song I didn't know. So I still, at 41 years old, I still, and I don't get an opportunity to enough because of how much I work, but I love going out and, and listening to DJs. Also, I think now what might happen 
you know, you had the EDM era in the mid 2010s and then that kind of fizzled out and that really mirrored the rise and fall of, of disco in my opinion a lot where it rose so quickly it was so uh, pervasive and it was just everywhere and then it just fell so quickly as well so to me that kind of followed disco uh, uh, you know rise and fall a lot so then you had hip-hop take over and now hip-hop's been you know the thing for the past three, three, four years, and hip hop's been ruling the world. And so you have nightclubs, some that are really holding on to this EDM because they don't want to play all hip hop all night, but they probably should be as far as what's popular right now. And then you have other clubs that are playing hip hop all night. You have very little of the two being mixed anymore, which you did about five years ago. So what I potentially see happening coming out of this and I already felt like it was even before the pandemic I felt like the legwork the groundwork was there for it is potentially a hearkening back to that open format era and maybe a modern take on it I feel like we could go there again and you could have DJs playing in clubs that are just doing a dope job transitioning through genres and playing throwback hip hop and playing the early 2000s pop punk and playing, you know, a 90s alternative song here or there and playing new hip hop and just kind of going all over the board. I feel like the table is set for that to potentially come back again. Yeah, I agree. Everything goes through in cycles and it would be a fun thing. And I, I also can't say enough, like I'm going to preach a little bit here um, to all the DJs listening. I'm sure we're going to have a bunch of DJs listening because Dave is, is, is so popular amongst DJs going out. And, and obviously it's tougher to do in pandemics, but there's live casts, there's um, things like Twitch right now, but going out and seeking out other DJ sets, you know, whether it's traveling to bigger cities or even in your own market or they're outside of it is is just a learning experience and inspirational for sure man it's uh, networking it's learning what people are doing it's watching people succeed it's watching people fail it's watching the crowd it's it's all of that but it's uh it's it's by far the best for me at least it's the best education i've ever gotten and i'm, I'm sure that you would agree yeah and i love going to places and even listening to djs open when i'm headlining and i've gotten to play at so many cool places with like great DJs that are that are friends of mine. I mean, I've loved to listen to your opening sets. I played a lot with DJ Edge, Eddie, who we're both friends with out in Lancaster at Telus 360. And he's a phenomenal opener. And, uh, you know, our friend Koo in Tampa, who's just a great all around DJ. But, you know, I've played headlining sets at some of his clubs where he's brought me in and he's open for me. And I, I love sometimes listening to opening sets more. I remember saying, I think to you one night, I don't want to go on because I was enjoying your opening set <laughs> so much. And sometimes I just like hearing that kind of slightly funkier, slightly more off the beaten path stuff that you can do in an opening set that is harder to do in a peak hour set because you're trying to keep the energy really high. Yeah. I mean, dude, I, I would always say like, I, I like playing open. I like playing opening sets more than I like playing prime sets, man. It's uh, you know, your prime sets are your big hits, the bangers. You're going to get that crowd love, that crowd response, especially if you do it in a very cool way. But there's something to be said about like setting the opening vibe as people are walking into the club, going up, grabbing their drinks, you know, talking to friends and then building that dance floor and hand, handing the headlining DJ a full dance floor and saying, yo, this shit's yours. Rock the fuck out of it, man. 
Right, because you don't have to play WAP three times in the opening set. <laughs> I, and, I will uh, say this. I want to say one thing, well, two things about WAP. One, WAP is not as horrible as everybody says it is. It's not my favorite song by a long shot. However, <laughs> I saw people that were probably playing the shit out of my neck, my back in 2002 or three, whenever that came out, that were like, WAP sucks. This is so pornographic. Like, shut up, really. Secondly, I am thankful for the pandemic at that in that as DJs, we did not have to address, we got kind of a, a pass on addressing playing or not playing or how to play WAP at high school events this year, because I do some proms, you do some proms, and that's one of those songs that even there's some songs. Mo Bamba was in there too. There's some songs that even the clean version at a prom might get you some dirty looks from the administrators or the teachers or the chaperones. And even the clean version of that, the the line "whores in this house," the way it's edited, it still sounds like it's saying "whores in this house" the whole song under the beat, even in the clean version. So, I am thankful that that our year was saved from having to play WAP at high school events or not play WAP and alienate the entire student body. So this is where I'm going to be where my 10 and we're getting deep into the DJ territory here, which is something I, I love and hate, but um, you probably remember this more than I remember, but there was a group of uh, DJs that touted themselves as being like the cleanest and, and a, a most official and appropriate um, high school dance DJs. It goes back five or six years ago. DJ Core, who is going to be one of our guests on the show here, definitely remembers it because I would bitch about it forever. But it was a bunch of, you know, 50, 60, 70, not, maybe not 70, but past their prime DJs talking about how to DJ uh, school dances uh, appropriately. And they actually sold, to monetize this group, they sold banners for your uh, folding table um, where you, that you would DJ on for school dances that said no grinding. <laughs> and I, and bet, so, I bet the I bet the clips was pissed, <laughs> dude. Uh, so as crazy as it sounds, like and I like it was a Facebook group, so they you know they were in my feed, and I was trying to be appropriate to DJs. Jeff and I had actually run a marketing company that sold websites and logos and marketing materials to DJs. So you were so, trying to talk shit, basically. Basically, and I'll talk I'll talk all the shit right now. So their solution to like playing the inappropriate songs at school dances were to play the instrumentals. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know. Well, first of all, nowadays that might not even work because the instrumentals are, are so down tempo and low energy. But uh, on top of that, I don't even know if that's better because I play clean versions and the kids sing the dirty lyrics. It's almost more noticeable when the kids are singing them. The big thing about Mo Bamba, and as every DJ listening to this knows this, if you're not a DJ or you don't know Mo Bamba, there's a part where the song breaks down, the beat stops, and Sheck West, who sings the song, goes, oh, fuck, shit, bitch. And I've every high school dance I DJed at the year that song came out, I said, look, I said, I said to whoever booked me, whatever administrator booked me, I can play this song. I cannot play this song. I will play the clean version, but the kids will sing all of these dirty lyrics. And I got about a 50-50 response as far as some administrators said, go for it. If you're playing the clean version, we're fine with that. Others said, yeah, let's just pass on that song. So there's a, a little bit of a mix in there. 
I'll tell you the worst thing that uh, ever I ever did at a high school dance in, inadvertently was it was a long, long time ago. This was in the early 2000s. And I was playing Lovers and Friends and <laughs> by Little John and Usher. And it was brand new at the time. And I wasn't thinking because it's kind of a slow jam and it only has one swear word in it. And so I wasn't even thinking like, do I play the clean or dirty version? I'm just thinking like there's no swear words in it. I just totally does not enter my mind that in the last verse, little John's like, I known you for a long time, shawty, but fucking never crossed my mind. <laughs> I played this in a homecoming of like a thousand kids. And as soon as that line dropped, the room went ape shit. Like it just <laughs> erupted and no one ever said anything. And the company I worked for got booked for the dance the next year. Like nobody ever mentioned it, but I was like, Oh, I did that. <laughs> well, you heard my story about my uh, Serato sampler at my wedding. <laughs> Put your fucking hands up. Yeah. So uh, for everybody listening, I Serato, which is a DJ software uh, that we all use, has a built-in sampler. And at most weddings on, on our mixer, I would turn the sampler off, the volume off. But this particular one, I, I didn't have it on and I was searching for a song. My uh, cursor wasn't in the search field and I hit the Q button for a sample which was little John going, put your fucking hands up. And it was a great wedding. The wedding was lit, but they were definitely like a more conservative family. And it I got, was definitely lit after you played that. <laughs> they were, they were, uh, I got some dirty looks from mom and dad. That's for sure. But uh, I, I, I recovered and I, I was mortified. It's, it's terrible, 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 terrible. Yeah. The, the, my closest to accidentally hitting the sample was hitting the sample uh, fortunately I don't any longer have the, put your fucking hands up in any of my sample buttons. It's just yes. DJ digital Dave drops, but I hit a little John DJ digital Dave drop in the middle of play at a pit basketball game at an NCAA basketball game. Like while the ball's in play, like I bumped it and all of a sudden it's like DJ digital day. And I'm like, Oh shit. And nobody, even our producer, nobody, I don't know if they didn't notice or they just saw that I pulled it, the volume down right away. And they're like, okay, it was an accident, but nobody ever said anything to me about it. But that was, that was my worst bumping of the sampler. <laughs> Man. And I want to get into that too. Um, talking about DJing for sports teams. I know your background with Pitt goes that you were actually your class president. Am I, am I wrong there or correct? I was not a class president. I was on student government board, which was only, so our student government is a group of eight people. And then there was a president. So there was eight people and then a, a president and the eight of us voted. We were, you know, in essence, quote unquote, Congress or the Senate, however you want to look at it. All of the budgets that would go to all the student organizations we would vote on. And then we would have our own budget to do different things at the school. We bought a giant, like a 70, $4,000 Panther statue that was made in Italy to put outside our student union. And it was funny because at the time when we bought it, a lot of the students were like, yeah, you know, we're really, you know, not a fan of you spending that much money on that. And it was funny because it was one of the few things, even in student government, we kind of had a liberal side and a conservative side, and we didn't agree on a lot of things. But the statue, the Panther statue, was the one thing all, all eight of us were all about this. It passed unanimously. And we still got some flack from the student body and the student newspaper. And now, 20 years later, it's so crazy when you drive into campus on a game day, all the students take like pit shirts and 
Hawaiian lays and any kind of pit decorations and they put them on the statue and everyone takes pictures of it. And it's this big campus landmark. But it's funny that it was actually a little bit controversial when we actually purchased it. But yeah, so I was on student government board, but it was pretty serious. We would have to run for election and the entire like 15,000 person student body would vote and the winners, I mean, I think I got over like a thousand votes. Like I think about three, four, 5,000 people would actually come out to vote of the 15,000. So it was a pretty legit experience from a political standpoint from how you would really run for an office. Yeah, that sounds legit. Dave, uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, Lander over here. But now, so without the, sorry, that may have been insulting depending on your uh, standpoint. but talking about like sports DJing and in-game DJing, how did the Steelers opportunity come apart? Because that's so different than a club DJ, a party DJ. Did they did they lend their hand to each other? Did somebody like from the team see you in a club and recommend you? How did that, how did that start? So the way that that worked out is I was actually DJing. So I first was DJing for pit basketball. That was what I was doing first. And then Pitt football was not happy with who they had doing their music and Pitt basketball was happy with me in basketball. So they slid me over and had me doing football as well. And then the Steelers and Pitt share the same stadium, Heinz Field. And so the game day producer for the Steelers, who's basically in charge of the entire production room, he is uh, on site all for all the Panthers games in case there'd be some sort of problem or anything goes wrong. He's familiar with all the equipment. He's basically usually never has to do anything, but he's there as a potential troubleshooter just in case type of person. So he seemed to like what I was doing at the pit games and noticed me because he had to be on site for the pit games. So they asked me to do, it was 2016, the Steelers were playing the Ravens, who's their big rival on Christmas Day. It was a Christmas Day game. And they said, would you be interested in filling in? The regular DJ does not want to do the game. And so I said, sure. Like I was just, I've been a huge Steelers fan my entire life. They're my favorite sports team, period. I was so excited for this opportunity. So I go in for a few games. I go in one game against Dallas to, to shadow their other DJ. And then we play the Giants. And that game, I played half the game. He played half the game. So I kind of shadowed him the first half and I played the second half. And so then we get to the Christmas day game. I play the game. We win the game. It goes great. I get great feedback. And they said, Hey, do you want to come in next week and work the Cleveland game? So I said, sure. I'd love to. So I come in the next week, work the Cleveland game. The following week, we make the, we make the playoffs winning that week. And so actually we made the playoffs because we beat the Ravens. And then they said, would you like to work the Miami playoff game? And I said, sure. And finally, at the point when we got to the Miami playoff game, I said, do you guys want me to work every game? Because I'd absolutely love to, but you know, you're just asking me one game at a time. And they're like, oh yeah, we'd absolutely love to. That's, that's the plan here. So I think what was happening was they were testing me out on that Christmas game and they were testing me out under the premise that it was a, you know, filling in for the other DJ because it was Christmas. And if they didn't like me, they could just say, well, hey, thanks for filling in. No hard feelings. But they did like me, so they kept me. But it is totally different in that you're on one hand, you're in essence part of a live TV production. And what we're playing is not the music you hear going 
off and on to commercials on the TV, but we are basically producing the TV show that is on the Jumbotron inside the stadium. So basically I'm in a room and on a headset with all of the people that are coordinating all the in-stadium videos, whether it's just a replay, whether it's the live play that's being shown up on the screen, whether it's a presentation or a contest that's happening during a commercial break, I'm in the same room with all of those people. And there's about maybe 25, 30 of us in that room, replay people, um, technical directors, video people, the PA announcer. It's just, I could go on and on and describe it, but it's, it's crazy. Cause I don't think people realize how intense it is. And so you're, you have to be on point in that room. If the game is supposed to start at 102. If the NFL tells us kickoffs at 102, it's basically our responsibility to make sure that we kick off at 102. And if it's more than over 60 seconds in either direction off, the Steelers get fined because we didn't have the kickoff in time. And so we are the ones that are really responsible for introducing the teams and making sure they get out in the field, making sure the anthem happens, the coin toss happens, etc. So it's kind of really intense from that standpoint. And then also too, you're, there's a combination in what we're doing of trying to get the fans pumped up, but it's only not only trying to get the fans pumped up. You're also in essence, soundtracking the game. So sometimes you might get scored on. And so at that point, the fans aren't going to be pumped up and you got to play something that's not so mellow that it's depressing, but it's not celebratory either because the other team just scored. So you're almost, it's almost like scoring a movie in a way. You're trying to play the right songs for the right moments during the game. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know that myself, when I've worked in larger scale productions, by no means as large scale as that, um, I, I like that feedback. I like that chaos. I like the, um, the, the monitors and yeah, I like the screaming in my ear. I like, okay, this needs to happen now. Um, do you work well under that kind of pressure? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I like it so much that we have two things a year, one with the Steelers, which is a, um, like it's called FanFest. it's in August and it's an open practice. And then one is with Pitt and it happens in uh, March or April. It's like the spring game. You guys have the, you know, blue white game in Penn yep. state. We, I think it's ours is called the blue gold game. Cause those are our colors. And so those two events are just complete chaos. Like there's no, they're not broadcast on TV and the coaches are basically doing what they want. And we're trying to follow along with the coaches. And when we do those events, it makes me appreciate the specificity with how we work when we're, you know, basically dealing with a TV broadcast. And we know the TV station's going to break for two minutes and 20 seconds. And we have that two minutes and 20 seconds to do inventory, whether it's an advertisement or a presentation or a contest or just music to pump the fans up. And we know in two minutes and 20 seconds, play is going to be back in action. And we also need to play the appropriate music going back into play for the players and to pump the fans up. And I love the organization and that specificity. And I've actually kind of hate when we're in there and we're just, it's kind of like random and we're following the coaches and, and whatever, whatever they do. So I do work well under the pressure. I will say though, it, it took a minute to get used to the first Steelers game. I was just, I was standing. We have, we do have a seat seating in there in our room and I was standing the entire time. I was watching the game like a hawk. I could barely tell you what happened because 
I was very nervous. And now after doing it for this would have been my fourth full season, I believe after doing it for four seasons, I'm definitely more in the groove and more relaxed and much more comfortable with doing it under that level of, of intense pressure. But I, I do enjoy it for sure. Sure. So, and, and how has that changed in the pandemic though? Like with, I don't want to stand the Steelers too long, but you went from DJing for, and then there are very few DJs. Like, I mean, I mean, maybe a dozen DJs that can say they've DJed for 60,000 people. Um, and now you're going into um, limited crowds and now there's no crowds is, does the pressure change? Does the adrenaline change on that? It's, it's definitely different. It's definitely interesting. Um, we, we had quite a fluid season and then almost every game was different. We started out with zero fans at all. And then in October we got, I think 5,000, 5,500. And we had that through early November and then that backed off. And then we were at friends and family. So there'd be maybe, I don't know, 500 people like out there, maybe not even. So there would still be people in the stands in September. There were zero people in the stands in November, late November and December. There were some people in the stands, but they were all like, they knew a coach, they knew a player and they got the ticket that way. So it was definitely almost every game was a brand new experience. And there was fluidity in how we were running our program. For instance, there was fan noise in that was pumped into the stadium during play, but the fan noise was by NFL rule. We had to take the fan noise out during commercials. I don't know what their mindset behind that rule was, but that was the rule. You take it out during commercials. So in the early games of the season, Normally when we're on defense, we're playing loud music and it's loud rock or hip hop, trying to get the players and the fans pumped up going back on the defense and trying to distract the offense. Well, after the first game, the defense came to us and they said, Hey, they said, it's actually so quiet down there when the fan noise is pulled out <laughs> the artificial crowd noise that we can actually hear the offense talking. So they said, when we're on defense, we actually don't want you to play any music at all when we're in commercials because we're trying to hear what the quarterback and the coaches are saying on the other side of the field. That was how quiet it was in the stadium, which is pretty crazy. So every game was a whole new experience. I talked to our game day producer who basically puts the entire show together and he's the person I report to. And every game this season was just a, a new a new concept. It was, what are we doing with the music today? Because it's probably different than the way we were doing the music last week. Uh, also too, normally you play music. It's like a combination that you're trying to play some newer hip hop to pump the players up, but you're also trying to play music to pump the fans up. And some of the more classic rock or things like that, the players might not care about, but it's going to get the fans excited and it's thus it'll help the players. So you're trying to do a little bit of both. Whereas this season was much more focused on player centric music because most of the season, that's all that was there were players. Absolutely insane. And and while we were talking about like having people in your ear and, and working well under that pressure, I guess without naming names or maybe I'll name names. Um, I won't name your one residency, but I'll name a spot in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania that we played Broadway Social, where um, the owner of the club very much loved hanging out in the DJ booth. And uh, 
was just up your ass to make an announcement. Uh, the microphone also dangled in front of your face, sometimes whacking you in the forehead. Um, it, was, I, it was a so for for reference, it was one of those microphones like the the Michael Buffer boxing ring microphone <laughs> that dropped down from the ceiling. It was basically just hanging on the XLR, and he'd say shit on the mic, and then he just let it go, and then it's swinging like a pendulum and hitting you in the face. And- <laughs> So he he was a goofy like just like a, a like a hardcore Italian guy and uh, just like the hey uh, play this song right now uh, uh, hey and um, my favorite part like so Dave's Dave got the best story here because like he would just always question your music choices and then you'd point to the crowd and you'd be like uh, whatever I mean my my answer I'll just be hundred percent honest my answer was just farting in the DJ booth and he would eventually leave um, Dave had a funny story at the end of the night though like what was it the cops were outside what happened there. Well, so, so first the, the, my fun story during the night, this is one of those clubs and I've had these clubs before I played in DC clubs like this. They're like, don't play too much hip hop. Upstairs is the hip hop room. Downstairs is the open format room. We want you to play everything. And then the whole night, it's just play more hip hop, play more hip hop. And I'm like, you started the night out telling me not to play too much hip hop. And then you keep telling me to play more. So during the night I'm playing the killers, Mr. Brightside. And the dude's like, yo, He's like, you can't be playing this shit. They're going to riot. They're not going to like this shit. And so it's in the middle of the song when he's telling me this and he's in the DJ booth and it gets to the line where they're like, let me go. And I turn the filter down and the whole crowd sings the entire line. And he looks at me and he's like, okay, well, maybe I was wrong. So (laughs) that was my fun story during the night. But anyways, at the end of the night, (laughs) I don't know if this is true. I don't know where this came from. This is... Uh, I can tell you crazy nightclub stories for days. Oh, same. But the uh, security guard, one of the security guards or assistant managers is like, yo, there's cops outside checking people. If you have any drugs, just drop them on the floor. We'll take care of them. (laughs) And so I don't know if this guy is telling the truth and he's trying to hook the customers up and not get them arrested or if this guy's just trying to get free drugs and everyone just drops their drugs on the floor and then he just scoops them all up and keeps them. <laughs> I, I don't know where he was going with that, but that was that was definitely a crazy, uh, one of my many crazy nightclub stories. I would go towards the latter because I remember when I was DJing at that spot, he would, um, he had like, I, I, I think the dude was a pimp. So he brought over like this very attractive girl and he's like, hey, you like this girl? And I was like, I mean, I was single at the time. I'm like, yeah, she's kind of cute. He's like, are you staying overnight here? Or are you driving home? I'm like, I'm kind of driving home tonight. He's like, oh, well, I would have given you a, a good price. You know, like, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I got you. That's, that's not even part of your DJ rider. That's not comp. So you don't, you don't <laughs> yeah, really action there. I get a discount, but I probably wouldn't get paid that night. Right. <laughs> so another crazy thing too, like this is just something like you want to talk about all the crazy nightclub stories is uh, this is just something I've never gotten used to people that coming up to people that come up to you and ask you if you party. And I'm like, it's dude, dozens and dozens of times people are like, Hey, you party. And I'm like, I'm fucking DJing in a nightclub. Or even if I'm a, I'm, I'm there as like a, a guest listening to people like a DJ, I'm like, yeah, I'm hanging out. Of course I fucking party. And then of course it comes to the situation where you, Hey, you want to buy some cocaine? And I'm like, no, I don't want to fucking buy some cocaine. So I had a guy once that I can't remember where I was. I don't remember. I was in, it was either Pittsburgh or DC. I forget which one. And I walk into, I was walking into a pizza shop to get pizza, but it was in the club district. And this guy's like, 
yo, man, you party? And I'm like, no, man, because I, I know what it means when someone <laughs> asks if you party. And I'm like, no, man. He's like, you a cop? And I'm like, no, man. He's like, but you don't party. And I'm like, no. And he could not believe, like, it, in his mind, there were only two options. Either <laughs> I did cocaine or I was a police officer. Like, there was no third option. <laughs> he could not imagine that there was a citizen, a non officer of the law citizen that did not party, <laughs> you know, and he was just blown away. Like he, and he just would not quit asking me if I was a cop or if I party. So, so getting into crazy club stories, um, and yeah, hopefully this jogs your memory. Cause again, this is my fuzzy memory of trying to remember things. Were you at a club with a shooting involved, like a pretty major incident? I was, uh, once at a club where a shooting occurred, I was managing at the time. I was not DJing, but I was once at a club where a shooting occurred and I was in the back in the offices at the time. And actually Kelly, my wife was there with me. She was, I was the director of operations for this nightclub group. And she was actually the manager of the club where the shooting occurred. And we were both there and we were both in the office and I did not hear the shots ring out because the music was so loud. But I looked on the cameras and I just saw people running in every which direction of the exits. And I knew without hearing it, and I'd never even experienced one before, but I knew even without hearing it, I just immediately was like, oh shit. Uh, I realized what happened. And the crazy enough thing, nobody of course ever got arrested. The guys, you know, got away with the mob that was running out and uh, nobody, nobody knew anything of course. Because uh, that's how the how it goes. But what was interesting about it was that I the you know I heard the real story from the bouncers kind of on the DL and that was not told to police. And what apparently happened was one guy wanted to shoot another guy, but he didn't have a gun. But his boy had a gun on him, and he was trying to get the gun from his friend, and it went off and it shot him in the stomach. So. The guy that got shot actually wanted to shoot somebody else and he was trying to get the gun passed to him and it went off and shot him. So the person that got shot in a way probably deserved it because he was trying to shoot somebody else. He wasn't, you know, the, the target of the shooting. He was actually just trying to get the gun so he could use it on somebody else. So that was the story I heard, you know, the word on the street story. Now, it's crazy. Um, I'll tell you what, one of the worst things that ever happened, actually it's happened twice to me in a club. Once was girls did it and once a police officer did it. But I don't know if you've ever been in a club where pepper spray has been sprayed, but oh, that dude. is not fun. Because yeah, I, when that pepper spray is sprayed inside, the ventilation system, basically the AC or heat or whatever's running, just sucks it in and then starts circulating it. <laughs> and then there's just pepper spray in the air in the entire place. It is... I've had it happen twice. Once it was a girl that did it. Once it was a police officer that did it. Both times were equally unpleasant. So it's it's pretty wild. I actually didn't know the uh, shooting story. I, I like after how much you and I talk, and for everybody listening, Dave and I talk like three or four times a week. I didn't know that one. But did a bouncer punch you in the face once? I like there's got oh, yeah. there's a story that I remember. Like that, that's that, I think that's 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 a good one. So that place was Chrome, at Chrome, and that was this was 2002, and this was in barely legal after hours it it skirted i think we skirted the letter of the law i think we were technically legal but within the spirit of the law we probably were not legal 
but it was an after hours club and it was open till 5 a.m. And there was this bouncer that stood on the stage with me and because the DJ booth stage was the highest spot in the room and his name was Zeus. And <laughs> Zeus, I, I don't probably don't need to elaborate after I say his name was Zeus, but he was allegedly, I believe I was told, I didn't know this for a fact, but I was told he played for the Atlanta Falcons in the 70s, early 80s, something like that, that he was either a lineman or a linebacker. And Zeus's arms were about the size of my thighs. And that's not an exaggeration. His arms were literally the size of my thighs. And Zeus was so imposing that I once witnessed him stop a fight by approaching the two guys that were fighting. And they knew that if they didn't stop fighting, he was going to beat the shit out of both of them. So he, they just, I've never seen it before. They just stopped fighting because they didn't want Zeus. Because this was, for those of you that don't understand, prior to cell phone cameras, bouncers did not break up fights. Bouncers beat up people that were fighting and then threw them out of the club. And they that was not just in one place. That was everywhere. Yep. Basically, prior to like 2003, 4, 5, Basically, if you got into a fight in a nightclub, the bouncers beat you up and then they threw you out. And it, again, I'm not saying there weren't exceptions, but it was the norm. It wasn't like, oh, this was one place with a bunch of bouncers that were bad seeds. It was the norm. That was kind of how nightclubs worked. So anyways, Zeus, but Zeus was normally like my boy. Like I, people would come up all the time and request songs and he'd whisper in my ear. He'd be like, yo, Dave, just pretend like I'm telling you something and, and you know, they'll go away. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> so Zeus was super, super cool. But this one night, it was a two, like a Tuesday or something after hours. This is a slow night and Zeus comes up and he asked me if I'll play some reggae music. And I'm in the middle of a mix. And we had CD players at the time that was like the Newmark CDN 88, like a dual CD deck. And I'm in the middle of mixing. And I said, hold on one second, Zeus, let me finish my mix. And I would have totally played, you know, it was a hip hop night of playing like dancehall reggae was completely within the vibe, especially in the early 2000s of what could be played in there. But I just wanted to finish my mix first. And Zeus literally said to me, I don't want to wait. I want a goddamn answer. And he just hit me right in the face and I just went down. <laughs> so apparently he was having a bad night. So he goes over to the doorman or, or the girl that asked for the song actually goes over to the, the uh, guy at the door, which is the manager, JJ. And she said, Hey, Zeus just knocked out the DJ. And JJ's like, for real? And she's like, yeah. And so the owner was there too, Mike and Mike and JJ are debating on whether Zeus really knocked me out or not. Well, for the DJs listening, I had the volumes up on both songs when Zeus knocked me out. So then both songs were just all over each other. You know, the mix wasn't <laughs> right and there were beats everywhere and vocals everywhere. And so they were listening to that and they're like, yeah, maybe Zeus did knock out the DJ. <laughs> so they go over to check on me and Zeus is standing there in the DJ booth, like, you know, with his shoulders up, like nothing happened. He's still watching the crowd and I'm just laying there on the ground. So they go over to Zeus. Mike goes over to Zeus and it's like, Zeus, did you knock out Dave? And Zeus is like, yeah. And Mike's like, why did you knock out Mike? The owner says, why did you knock out Dave? And Zeus says, cause he wouldn't play reggae. <laughs> so then Mike's like, okay, well Zeus, then like you're fired. You have to leave. And Zeus is like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> so you have to understand that like probably the second, third and fourth biggest 
bouncers we had at this club altogether could not take Zeus out of the club. Like if Zeus decided he wasn't leaving, Zeus was not leaving. So fortunately, this was right next to Permani Brothers. For those of you who have been in Pittsburgh or uh, as, as residents or visited Pittsburgh, you've probably eaten at Permani Brothers. If you haven't, make sure to check it out. And so Permani Brothers, in addition to being a place where a lot of DJs and clubbers eat late night, is a place where police officers go to eat late night, you know, that are on the overnight shift. So Mike, the owner, goes out, and there's fortunately police officers that are that are out, you know, in a, in their car. They were either pulling in or pulling out of getting permanies, and he catches them, and he says, "Hey, one of my bouncers just knocked out the DJ. I need you guys to come upstairs and get rid of him. He won't leave. We tried to fire him. He just won't leave the club." And the police officers look at him, and they said, "Is it Zeus?" So the police <laughs> officers knew of Zeus's existence, and so Mike's like, "Yeah, it's Zeus." So they're like, okay. So he goes back upstairs, like five minutes go by. They don't come in. And he goes back downstairs to the police officers. And he says, why aren't you coming upstairs? And the police officers say, well, we're calling for backup. This is going to be Zeus's third felony, which means he'd go to jail for life if he's convicted of this. So he's probably not going to go easy. So we're waiting for backup. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. So I, at this point, you know, I was on the ground, the owner or the manager, the owner was handling the police. The manager, JJ, came over and he was getting me like water and trying to help me out. So finally, he gets me sitting up. Finally, backup comes. The police come in and they're like, do you want to press charges? And all I could imagine was Zeus in a cell, like basically, <laughs> I don't know, like drawing pictures of me with like a <laughs> broken rock on a wall like waiting to get out of jail and come get me and i'm like nah, i'm good i'm like if he's fired and he leaves like i'm good so they get rid of him he he leaves and they they're like you do you do you up to dj in the rest of the night and i'm like sure so you know i tried to have a sense of humor about it i went back on and the first song i played was mama said knock you out nice by LL cool j and then the night ended and crazy enough, Zeus actually waited, not for me, but he waited for the owner until 7 a.m. Le leaning on the owner's car because, you know, he was incredulous about being fired. And uh, the owner waited in the club until Zeus was long gone. The owner waited in the club for Zeus to leave so that he could safely get to his car. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, God, I could probably write a book on on the after hour spot, the amount of stuff that happened there. But yeah, that was that is a, uh, I guess, fun story nowadays. But that was the <laughs> time that I got knocked out while I was in the middle of a set. That's absolutely insane, man. And uh, as as we wind down here, um, Dave, I tagged Dave earlier in a question on Facebook um, since this is our first podcast. So we don't have a listener um group yet we don't have a fan base so I, I wanted to like end every podcast with some listener questions and um i can't say that i'm surprised but i could say that i'm like every fucking question is the worst question like like i like i'm not a big fan of djs to begin with i'm just gonna be straight up <laughs> but like let, let's i'm gonna go through them I'm, I'm literally opening up facebook now and we'll whip through some of these and I feel like for this episode, let's just make fun of each individual person that asked a stupid question. <laughs> so they, I, least I don't, get, I'm not gonna, they, they at least get their shout out on the show. <laughs> right, right. I'm not leaving out anybody because because um, they were all pretty fucking bad. Even some people that I thought maybe I would have some good questions. And, and Dave was kind enough to jump in on here. So I'm, I'm happy for that. Um, 
Let's go. So we, we've got Dave. Dave. Dave actually asked himself or gave himself the best comment, which was um, kind of mirroring what a normal 23, 24, 25-year-old girl at a club would say. Why didn't he play WAP again? Not just why didn't he play WAP, but why didn't he play WAP again for me and my friends? We're leaving in 10 minutes. So that's that's a typical joke, you know, when girls request a song. Hey, can you play the song for me now? We're leaving in 10 minutes. Um, yeah, no, we can't play it now for you when you're leaving in 10 minutes because guess what? We want you to fucking stay all night and spend all your money. Um, so let's see here. Mark Rach, uh, we both know Mark. Am I pronouncing Mark's last name right? Uh, yeah, well, it's it's I've even asked him. I mean, Mark's another one of my best friends. And there's different rights, rage, like it depends on which family he's even said it depends on which of his family members you ask how to pronounce his last name. So, or we can just go with DJ hypnotizer because that's hypnotizer. He's a good dude, man. I love him. But Megan, that's not even a joke, but he asked, you know, of course, everybody's, everybody's got to fucking have a sense of humor. Like there, you can't like ask a legit question. Like I had to ask that oh, question. Now, if you're a DJ and you ask a question on Facebook, you're totally getting trolled. You're not getting real answers. Like, dude, you, you have to know. Like, so when I asked, when I posted this question, I'm like, I'm going to get 50 troll replies and like three good questions. And I was cool with that. Um, so Mark, uh, but you don't even feel like you got the three good I questions. I don't think I got three good questions, dude. So if the earth is flat, do the moon and all the other planets, or all the other moon, if the earth is flat, do the moon and all the other planets are flat? I think he's like literally trying to just like sound like an idiot. Is that, am I wrong? If the earth is flat, do the other. Do. If the earth is I flat. Mean, my, my answer, my answer to that is definitely Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I, I, I thought you actually posted um, Alex Jones in uh, in a tinfoil hat, which was not not bad. Um, Brandon Blaine, what's what's his DJ name? Uh, Darth Darth Vader. Darth Vader uh, is the sky falling. So so I can actually tell you what that is in reference to, and that is actually in reference to the fact that I have been saying for quite some time now that I feel that. Uh, RIAA, which is the recording industry, is going to basically come after Twitch. And I basically said when people have asked me, why haven't you gone to Twitch? And it's very tempting because I see that there's a great DJ community there. But having been someone that's been kicked off SoundCloud for DJing and kicked off Instagram for DJing, I just... I can see the writing on the wall that Twitch is going to get shut down. And some of my friends are like, well, you know, why do you hope Twitch gets shut down? Because, you know, this is helping some of your friends make money and they're making income off this and there's a great DJ community there. And I've clarified, I don't hope that Twitch gets shut down. I don't want Twitch to get shut down. But having been doing this for 25 years and having seen all of the mid-2000s, you know, sites that like Crooklyn Clan and those type of sites get get either shut down or a lot of the remix sites. I mean, Crooklyn Clan made it through legally, but some of the other sites like yourremix.com got shut down. And then you had a lot of the blogs, you know, Palms Out Sundays and those blogs that were posting tracks back in the day, those got shut down. And now the record pools are getting attacked and face people got kicked off the by record labels from Facebook and from streaming on Instagram. And I'm just, I've told my friends, Hey, Twitch, it's going to come and it, and it sucks. I don't want it to come. It's not something that I want, but I don't want my friends to be surprised either 
when it does come. So that is what what his and you know he's basically referencing me as as chicken little. The sky is falling because I don't know. He thinks it's not going to happen. I don't want it to happen, but I feel like it's only a matter of time, unfortunately. Yeah, I think Twitch is like I I, I remember all those remix sites getting shut down. Um, I mean yourremix.com. I'm not ashamed to say, like, dude, I was making Manic Mike and I under the cover band moniker, which you joined later. We were making 1,200 bucks a month on it. Um, so yeah, it was it was good side income, and it was crazy like that. Uh, how fast remix was sold on those sites. This actually this question is actually good. I, I like I don't know like maybe uh, it's it's generic, but it's good. Michael okay. Cataldi asks, what are the top three songs in terms of play count in Davis Serato library? I know, I know, I know how you answered on Facebook, but do you know those offhand? Like, I feel like you do. So, so I have, I have Serato, uh, up here. And so I will, I will tell you the, the number one now keep in mind Serato has only had play counts. This is something me and Alex have both <laughs> wanted for a long, long time. Since in 2006, fact, once, officially. In, in fact, in 2018, I believe it was, I met one of the VPs of Serato in Atlantic City, and I asked him about play count. And he actually said to me, I've never heard a DJ ask me about that before in my life. And I said, you've got to be kidding me that you've never heard it. Like Serato DJs have been clamoring for play count for 15 years. Bullshit. But anyway, so, so this is probably only, I don't know, a year and a half, two years, whatever, worth of play count. But my number one song actually is One Two Step by Sierra. Damn, yeah. And, and Missy Elliott. I, I don't know if that's something that, that people would expect. And I can tell you the reason that that's probably my number one song is that that's a song that, I can play almost anywhere. Like I can play it kind of opening setty at like a hip hop night or even maybe a bottle service club. I can play it, you know, at weddings. I can play it at the casino. I mean, it's something I can kind of play anywhere. And there's, uh, you know, a lot of songs have their places in this venue or that venue. And, and a song I might play at almost every wedding, I might never play at a club. And a song I might play almost every night at the club, I might never play at a wedding. So, one Two Step is one of those songs that's kind of can be played everywhere. So uh, my second is uh, my Going Bad and Truth Hurts tone play routine. So Going Bad by Drake and Truth Hurts by Lizzo both have the same uh, note pattern in them. And so basically I have a routine where, and I have both tracks, um, I edited both tracks. So they're part of the same track. I, I mix them together live, but it's basically a track that has the Drake uh, first and then the Lizzo second, and I do a live routine with it. So that is number two, although that is probably falling because, you know, I truth hurts kind of, I'm sure it'll come back someday, but kind of uh, got a little played out. So that's taken a little bit of, of a backseat. And my third song in there is my happier blank space uh, bootleg mashup, which is Taylor Swift and Marshmallow, which I actually came up for specifically for the DJ Collective in 2019 um, to, to perform and to play out there. So that is actually a, a personal edit blend of mine that, that I like quite a bit, that I've gotten quite a bit of great feedback from. And so that's something also too, that I've played it playing a lot of different settings is probably why that made number three, but also too, I did find it interesting. I wanted to look and sort out what the three songs I played, uh, top songs I played that have come out since the beginning of 2020 were because of how 
crazy of a year it was. So just taking songs that came out, you know, after, you know, January 1st of, of 2020 and the three songs that uh, crazy enough, the first song on that list is actually Mike Taylor, who I'm, I was not even familiar with outside this cover. He actually did a cover of Electric Feel by MGMT, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. And it was on uh, DMS Record Pool. And it's kind of a, it's 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 an indie cover, but obviously I know the song to begin with is an indie song, but yeah, yeah. Uh, he makes it a little more indie dance than indie rock. Um, but it's Mike Taylor, Electric Feel. And that is my most played song that came out after January 1st, 2020, which I think uh, definitely attributes to how loungy the past year has been because I've been right. playing in a lot of environments where it's a casino or a bar, but there's no dance floor. So you're definitely setting more of a vibe than you are trying to create a dance floor. And I think that being my number one song is a testament to that. Number two was the scooter edit of Mood by 24K Golden. And number three was Spidatex uh, Senorita blend of the box. So it's Roddy Rich's The Box over Justin Timberlake's Senorita that was produced by the Neptunes. And again, that's definitely something I'm playing in a loungy environment and that people get to hear The Box by Roddy Rich, which they like, but it's not a super down-tempo hip-hop song because it's not really a party. It's more of a, of a loungy environment. So those were my three top songs that I played in that, that came out after, you know, January 1st, 2020. And I, I thought that was interesting to look at because of, of what a weird year last year was. Yeah, absolutely. Those are cool choices. Um, yeah. Electric feel is one of my top ones too. And I, I don't know that. So like the, the, uh, the remix, so I have to check. Yeah. Out. Mike, Mike, Mike Taylor. I mean, it's on DMS, which I know you're part of, but I can also, I can also Dropbox it uh, to you as well. Another one of my highest uh, songs too on there, I just want to give a shout out to is uh, a, a lot of DJs did this. Although my the first one I came across, the first one I started playing and probably my favorite was the, our, our, our friend David Krieger's. And uh, a lot of DJs, because they were in the same key, mashed up Post Malone's Dream or Post Malone Circles and Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Nicks' Dreams. And because dreams also got huge last year because of TikTok, And that was, I think number, that was number five on my, my list of, of 2020 songs that I played. And so shout out to Krieger. Like I said, a lot of people did that blend, but I, I heard his first and I really uh, dug the way he laid it out. And so I, I played that a lot. That's worth checking out. And I've even played it at uh, Heinz Field in like Steeler Pit, like in a just timeout kind of chiller moment. Uh, so shout out to, to Krieger on that. But yeah, like I said, it's definitely, definitely been a year where I played a lot more chill stuff than party bangers. So while we're talking about Post Malone there, I know that Danny Diggs is very polarizing. Um, he did a great blend of um, Post Malone circles over Runaway Train by Soul Asylum. They actually really go nicely together too, um, but I definitely I haven't heard uh, Krieger's uh, mix. I'd have to like check Inter that out. Interesting, yeah. I I know that I believe Scooter did the same blend, but I think his was posted after Krieger's, and I think a few other people have done. I mean, they're in the same key. It was one of those I I almost want to call it a, a semi no brainer for a yep. DJ, not for every DJ, but for DJs that do production 
and and blends and mashups and things like that. And, and those um, kind of songs too, like, and even if you look at charts and we won't get too deep into that because of time constraints here, but um, if you look at charts this year and like songs like that, like we're playing loungier spots, people's attitudes are a little bit more chill. Um, there's not like the massive parties. So if you look at music in the charts right now, it's kind of all kind of mellow, chill, um, that kind of music. So, right, right. I mean, you know, even, um, even like uh, Molly Cyrus, you know, Midnight Sky, which yep. I absolutely, absolutely love that song. And, and that obviously has had quite a few people have done Stevie, including Molly herself. But even before she got to it, a lot of people did, you know, Stevie Nicks Edge of 17 mashups with that. And so, uh, you know, Stevie Nicks is one of my favorite, one of my very tippy top favorite uh, female vocalist of all time. I would say other than like kind of soul or jazz vocalists, you know, when you get into people like Sade or, or um, you know, Nina Simone, like people like that, like I would say as far as rockers, Stevie Nicks is by far my favorite female you know, vocalist as, as, you know, kind of rock slash pop artist of all time. So, and, and I'll tell you what Molly does and whether she's trying to evoke Stevie Nicks or not, she does an incredible job at evoking Stevie Nicks. In fact, she did a Blondie cover. I believe it was heart of glass and it literally sounds like Stevie Nicks singing heart of glass. It actually doesn't sound like Miley Cyrus singing heart of glass. It sounds like Stevie Nicks singing heart of glass, which is pretty crazy but uh yeah there's definitely been a a more loungy chill even things like doja cat say so yep. Yep. uh it's definitely been more of a loungy chill vibe this year yeah and uh yeah miley cyrus is definitely kind of coming to her own so ernie lara who I, I really expected a good question from asked if uh he could charge his phone in your dj booth um we Big all and what i what i told him but i need to mention this because it's fun and you can do it and people don't know it is I, I told him I would charge it, but I would plug it into the USB port on the CDJ. And for those of you DJs that are listening, you know what I'm talking about. It's basically to plug a uh, flash drive in that has music <laughs> on it, but it will also charge your phone. So I've, I've basically in DJ Boost, because I use actual turntables, have, have created <laughs> a, a $2,000 phone charger. And a uh, big shout to uh, Big Earn to uh, Ernie Larry. Big Earn! Who's... who's uh, He's down like 100 he, he pounds, saved, he 80 pounds. The, he saved the power at the collective when your microwave <laughs> that you bought on Amazon shut down in the entire Arizona or Scottsdale power grid. So uh, we were we were in uh, Arizona for a DJ conference, and um, I was on a meal prep plan at the time. I paid money to have meal prep delivered to me, but I needed a way to heat it up. The hotel we were at, nice hotel, gorgeous hotel. Usually the upscale hotels don't have microwaves. So I went on Amazon Prime now, ordered myself a $99 microwave. And, and as the uh, urban legend goes, I shut down the whole power to the conference uh, as it was a pretty I, shitty. I, I, I made the part up about his microwave shutting down the power to the conference, although <laughs> everyone enjoyed it. But what is true is that he went to a hotel and he bought a microwave on Amazon on next day delivery with the intent of just using this microwave during his stay at the hotel. And then I believe you gave it to the uh, front desk girl when you were leaving. Yep. The, she was, the, uh, she was more than gracious. Yep. yep. So Chris hints, this is actually a good question. So Chris, you know, not, no surprises. Chris hints from pinnacle pro uh, pinnacle productions in Sioux Falls, South Dakota 
And Kelly, um, Dave's wife is probably the most supportive wife you'll ever meet in, in any field. Um, but Chris Hintz asks, who's more likely to have a stronger drink and stance in politics? You or your spouse. And Dave, this is a pretty easy answer, isn't it? I, I don't, well, you know, stronger drink, uh, stronger drink can vary. I think she would make her mixed drinks stronger, but I, I but I'm, I'll do shots. Like I have no fear <laughs> of any shot. Whereas she, she'll do shots sometimes, but she's not as big of a shot girl. Uh, stance in politics. I would say she can be a little more extreme than me, but I would say we're both very adamant about our stances and beliefs in politics. For sure. Yeah. And we won't get into that. I don't want to uh, make it too political here. Um, and, and well, a good segue from Kate Easley and I think, okay, maybe all the questions don't suck. There's a couple of good ones. Kate Easley asks, uh, what's Dave, what's Dave's least favorite shot? Dave. What is Dave's least favorite shot? Well, somebody I think jokingly brought up uh, four Zambucas earlier in the thread there. The the whole joke of the girl at the, it was yep. on video, a viral, went viral a year or two ago that was trying to order four Zambucas from the DJ, <laughs> which I, I have had people try to order Long Islands for me. I've never had people try to order Zambuca, but Zambuca, Zambuca might be, Zambuca is up there. I'll tell you what, though. I think the worst shot I ever had, though, in my life was warm Jaeger. I don't know if you've ever had room temperature Jaeger, but but that's pretty awful. Like cold Jaeger is bad enough, but room temperature Jaeger is is, is pretty, pretty nasty. Um, but either that or, or Zambuca, I think, would have to be. But I, I don't fear I don't fear any shots. I mean, my my go to's are tequila or, or, or whiskey. So, you know, there's there's nothing that I'm not going to do. But I would say either either Zambuca or, or, or warm Jägermeister would be my, you know, I think I'm going to have to go with warm Jägermeister. Even cold, even cold Jägermeister can be rough <laughs> sometimes. So um, I'm going to go off and do a little promotion here is. Um, in August, on August 27th, there's a book um, about Amaro's, which is Italian digestives. Um, and Jägermeister, although not Italian, falls into that category. And it's a category of um, liqueurs. Um, if you go to Pennsylvania state stores, they're just blankly titled liqueurs. Um, it's, a, it's a category that I really have fallen in love with. So um, if you use Jäger, which is... Um, like the, the digestifs or Amaro's other than making really nice mixing ingredients um, sipped on their own after a heavy meal are meant to like settle the digestive system. So you definitely have a new appreciation for them after that. And there's actually a uh, digestive or Amaro called Super Punch, which is famous in Pittsburgh, which I, I think I asked you about and you said you'd never heard of it. I have not heard of it. No. Okay. It's uh, old men in Pittsburgh love it apparently. And that's, it's like, that's, it's routed in the United States. I'm sorry to, were you in a, no, 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 go, go ahead. Continue. Go, go no, ahead. No. Continue. So on that, your... the gentleman that wrote that book is going to be one of our future guests and we're going to taste test Amaro's and digestives. I got it. So, so basically what you're in essence saying is that Jägermeister is the really bad tasting German version of limoncello. Yeah. To an extent. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you could say that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, cause if I'm if I'm sipping on some after dinner digestive type of type of stuff, I think I'm I'm going uh, I'm going limoncello. And speaking of of sipping on after dinner, I have to go on a complete very quick. I will make this quick, but side tangent. 
that me and Alex have eaten there together, but I've also eaten there several times on my own. First with DJ Koo. Big shout outs to Koo, the homie from Tampa. But if you're ever in Tampa, make sure you eat at Burns Steakhouse. It's oh, B-E-R-N-S. So it's not, not B-U-R-N-S. It's B-E-R-N-S, Burns Steakhouse. Make a reservation like two months in advance because it fills up. But not only do they have amazing steaks, but then they have an upstairs dessert room. And this upstairs dessert room has a dessert menu that's like 40 pages. And there's a maybe 10 to 15 pages of desserts and then 25 pages of ports and brandies and all kinds of crazy dessert uh, liqueurs. And so I can I, I can't tell you a restaurant just uh, atmosphere, food, dessert, drinks. I mean, that is I've ever been to that's more spectacular. I I maybe have one or two steaks, maybe Manny's, which we both eaten at in Minneapolis at the W Hotel. Maybe edge them out on steaks, but but they're pretty close. But just overall, the experience at Burns is like nothing else. And so if you're ever visiting Tampa, passing through. If you live there, I'm sure you've you've already been there. Make sure to check out Burns Steakhouse. Yeah, dude, Burns is amazing. And and just to talk about how long their wait list is and the reservation list was, I tried about a month out to get a reservation and I couldn't. So yeah, definitely that two month mark is probably the sweet spot. Um, so um, what, what X- other what other questions do we have? Do we have any more stupid you, questions? Or? It's all kinds of fucking stupid questions. I'm not Dean McAfee, a guy I love him, but like he. He was the king of stupid questions here. Uh, Michael Cataldi asks, yeah. and I think we hit one of his questions already. I'm yeah, not we, a game. He, he asked the good one. He asked the one about the uh, what the top most played songs in my Serato. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now he asks if your team Xbox and team PlayStations. Hey, let's ask a good Play, question. We totally fucking fuck it up here. Wait, wait, hold on. You ask, you ask for questions that were not about DJing. <laughs> And he responded with a question that was not about DJing and I'm going to answer it. I don't own one of the current ones because I don't even have time anymore for video games, but PlayStation. Well, why doesn't he just ask me to jerk off with Vaseline or KY? Like, I mean, if if you want to talk about stupid questions here. (laughs) Well, what what did Dean, what did Dean ask? You never, you said you were going through every question. What did Dean ask? What's your most random fact from memory like this? I, I, I got a good one here. Do you? I'm sure you do. Yes. So, well, yeah, I mean, I know lots of random facts from memory, but the Cathedral of Learning, which is the University of Pittsburgh's really tall educational building, like most, most colleges, you know, maybe they have buildings that are three, four floors, or maybe a big one, it's 10 floors. So the University of Pittsburgh has, it's called the Cathedral of Learning. It's, it's um, 42 or 44 four stories. I forget if it's 40, I think it's like 42 indoor stories and two outdoor stories, but it's 535 feet tall. And it's the second tallest educational structure in the world. And I was a tour guide at Pitt. And so we learned all this crazy information about it. And I know that it has 2,529 windows. And I remember that from my tour guide days, 20 years ago at the university of Pittsburgh, that the, and I'm sure there'll be people from Pittsburgh listening to this podcast that the Cathedral of Learning has 2,529 windows. And I do also remember the architect that designed it. His name was Charles Z. Clotter. And so that is my most random fact. Again, someone asked you a question that was not about DJing and you still were not happy with it. Nope, not happy. And then your answer was, I mean, shocking. It was some kudos. 
<laughs> and so like and then Chris Romero um, of um, he's a DJ from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, great guy. And this is kind of an inside reference. Chris he's a great Ro- guy. He's a great guy, except for the fact that when I text him, the text show up green. Other oh, than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he's an Android, guy. Android enthusiast. Um, to his credit, though, I think Google even sponsors him. So like, like good for him. <laughs> they, uh, they better. He better be getting paid to, to use a Google. Although he told us that he went, I'm going, I'm going to spill the beans. He told us that when he went to actually visit Google a couple years ago, most of the Google employees were using iPhone. <laughs> so talk about social media and we, we all use social media to our benefit. I try my best. Dave tries his best. Chris, um, as a DJ, like, you know, as a DJ, we all have like marginal successes. We have some successes, some failures. Um, Chris posts his dog. He's got a fence, a wall, like, uh, separating his house from the neighbors. Very nice wall. His dog walks that wall, like a Very cat nice wall. and, um, it's a, it's a gorgeous wall. We're going to build that wall. It's going to be a gorgeous wall. He's in New Mexico, New Mexico paid for it. Um, but as his dog walks that wall and, and I, and he uses, um, Instagram, uh, what, what is reels, the, uh, reels. Instagram reels? Yes. And he gets like 40, 50,000, a hundred thousand views on it. And, uh, so Dave wants to know how you really feel about yellow laboratory retrievers. So, so, so we got in this conversation because there was a group of us talking the other week and Kristen Wilson from Florida encouraged us all to try reels, to try posting things to Instagram reels. So I decide I'm going to post DJ routines to reels that are complicated DJ routines and, you know, get very nominal likes and Chris posts a picture of his dog on the wall. The dog's not doing anything crazy. The dog's on the wall. And it gets like thousands of likes in like a half hour. And so then the next day I post another DJ routine. The same thing. I get, you know, nominal views, likes, whatever. And Chris and his dog. So it's become an inside joke, you know, <laughs> that, that Chris's dog. So I... I asked the one day, I said, well, so what type of dog do I need to get to sit next to me while I do my DJ routines? So, and, and Chris's dog actually has the coolest dog name in the way, dog name, uh, Rhonda, Rhonda Rousey, little Rhonda Rousey. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, Rhonda I not, Rousey. I did not know. I did not. Although I feel like, I feel like if you name a dog that you're setting the dog up to be one of those dogs that just tear up the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which you uh, know about that with your cat. Oh man, I love my cat. My my dog can go to hell, but I love my cat. If anybody wants a dog, by the way, it's a Havanese. It likes to piss everywhere, including on my daughter's bed, on my bed, um, not on my new half couch, by the way. Which uh, you're not I, you're not utilizing your dog enough for Instagram reels. That's the problem here. Um, yeah, maybe I'll just Instagram reel him pissing everywhere. That sounds like a good. A good it'll, it'll get plenty of views. Just ask Chris <laughs> Romero. Right. Um, Brian B, this was actually super disappointing to me. And as I look at the replies, maybe this is where I was most in, uh, uh, <laughs> disappointed in Dean. So Brian B, DJ Brian B, the founder of the DJ Collective, uh, one of the most impressive business uh, professionals. I, I drum roll. What does Brian have to ask? Who's his barber? Like no shit. We're both fucking bald. We get it, man. I can't grow hair for any for Dick, man. It's the high and t- the high and tight. Right, like yeah, They're very so high and tight. <laughs> and 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 also, um, you know, while we're making fun of Brian here, like on a real note, check out his podcast, The Travel DJ Blend. 
pretty dope which, podcast. Which I'm actually, I was actually supposed to record with him earlier today, but it, I think he got stuck out of New York because of a snowstorm. I think he was in Florida and he couldn't get back to New York because of the snowstorm. But me and him and Jason Jan and I do a music episode once a month on just we try to play cool songs that we use in DJ sets, but are a little off the beaten path, you know, songs that even other DJs might not know about. And we try to expose DJs and we have a guest each month. This month's guest is Stylus Chris, which is a really good friend of mine and one of my favorite DJs. So yeah, make sure to tr check out the travel DJ blend in general, but also too, I'm on there once a month with Brian and Jason Janai and a special guest each month. Very good. Yeah. And I, I can't, I can't recommend it. I like, I listen to all Brian's episodes, so it's definitely a great podcast. Um, it is. My, Mike Bothwell asks who's high pitch. Um, if you listen to Howard Stern, Hey now, we know the answer to that. I mean, is there any other way to explain that? Not, not really. You got to no, get into just, it. He's, just Google, just Google high pitch Eric. Yeah. He's a dude. He absolutely loves Mark, Mark Wahlberg. I mean, I, I do too. And I, Probably do all the same shit. I, that I think High Pitch Eric loves him a little more than you do, though. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. I fucking... uh, wait, wait, didn't he say though he was willing to give Mark Wahlberg a hand job? I don't know if you were willing to give Mark Wahlberg a hand job. Why not? <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> you'll think about I it. I don't have a problem with that. Career, <laughs> career advancement. Todd Powers, uh, another fellow bald gentleman, asks us. I'll, I'll answer this. I actually don't mind this question. What's your razor of choice, Dave? Well. I don't think you straight razor, do you? This, this, no, this is actually a good question because I've, I've used the, um, whatever the current Gillette, uh, fusion, the, the five blades, which, which, <laughs> which, which is an allusion to your favorite onion article of yeah. all time. It's, it's, <laughs> Shove 10 blades in there perpendicular. <laughs> fuck, fuck it. We're going five blades. Basically, <laughs> you know, they went from three blades to five, but I will say I've loved them for years. And the last two packages I've bought during the pandemic did not seem like the blades, like especially when I put a brand new razor on, a brand new cartridge on my handle, the blades did not seem as sharp or as smooth as they normally do. So I don't know if they had some sort of drop in quality because of the pandemic, but the specifically since last summer, the ones that I've bought, I've not been happy with. And I've actually been looking for a new razor. So if anybody out there for my head, I actually use uh, clippers and I have them set. Like I don't even use a guard on them. I just use the low, lowest setting. So I always have a little bit of fuzz on the top of my head, but for my face, I do use a, uh, you know, the, the Gillette fusion, but I've not been happy with them lately. So if anyone has razor recommendations, definitely hit me with them. And what razor do you use? So I like the Gillette fusion a lot. Like for my head, it gives me the close, like I, I straight razor my head gives me the closest shave. The only thing that fucking gets me about the fusion is like, they've got that weird little back blade. So it's like a six blade on the back. That's meant to like trim your nose, like in the hard to reach areas. So when I shave my mustache area, every time I nick like these little like nostril flares, and I get like little nostril flare bleeds and I, and it leaves me with a little Hitler mustache. So <laughs> I've got to use, I, I use a, just by default and it, it works fine, but the, the, the Schick hydro five doesn't have that back blade and I'm able to shave my mustache without looking like I, I hate Jews. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick with that one. 
Okay, I, I might have to check that out. I've never had the issue with 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 cutting my face uh, with with the Gillette Fusion, but uh, I've, I've tried shaving every which way. Like I'm like, is this something I'm doing? Like this can't be a design flaw, but I feel like it is. And the last question um, from Omaha, Nebraska. I like this town. I've DJed there several times. Eric Brown, um, and I, I don't know whether this is a bad question or good question because I'm just reading it verbatim. Let's find I, out. Let's find out. It says, awesome in, regard, in reply to me interviewing Dave tonight. Dave is one of my favorites. Honestly, I listen to his old Dirty Sundays mix a couple times a month, still along with some of his other mixed cloud selections. So... Okay, that was actually question one time. Or is, this, is this just so, a statement? At first, he was he's just jerking you off here. Um, so the second, so there is actually a question. He he comments on his own uh, statement and it says, "What's your craziest Karen at the DJ booth story?" You know, it's it's interesting. My my son actually asked me this question recently too, and so I was trying to think because I've had so many of them and. I think that a lot of them, you, you get so many as DJs of in the nightclubs of the girl that's wants to hear the song and, oh, we, you know, you already played it, um, you know, played again, nobody no will notice. I, I had a girl one time in a club that she was threatening, I wouldn't play her song and she was threatening to put her hand on my turntable and stop the music. And in a normal situation, I would probably think fast and put my Serato into internal mode. And for those of you that are not DJs, you would know that that would mean that the music would be playing just through the computer. And if the girl stopped my record, the music would keep playing. But I actually wanted this girl thrown out of the club so badly that I left it in regular mode and let her stop the music so that she would get kicked out. But that there's been so many of those in clubs. So I'm actually going to go, and this is the story that I told my son, I'm actually going to go to a wedding. And I remember having a wedding where a aunt of the bride came up to me and she, there was just a dance circle that had just occurred. And she basically wanted me to get on the mic and form a soul train line, but she didn't even know it was called a soul train line. She's just like, get on the microphone and line everybody up. So there's one line of people on the left side and one line of people on the right side and they you know, run down the middle. And I said to her, look, I said, we just had a big dance circle. And what people, some people too, I guess what she doesn't understand is that the, the dance circle is like the white people's version of the Soul Train line. You know, that's like the, the white version because we can't do anything as cool with music because we're <laughs> crackers. So that that's like the white version of it. We just did it, lady. Like, so I said, I said, no, I said, I'm not going to do this. So she looks at me and she's like, well, I'll tell the bride. And she starts looking over her shoulder toward the bride. And I don't care. Like she thinks I'm going to care, but I don't care. Ironically, I DJed the bride's sister's wedding too. And the family liked me so much that they hired me for, the, the younger sister's wedding. And this is one of those families where like, by this point in time, the mom knows me, the dad knows me, everyone's hugging me at the end of the wedding. And I'm like, lady, I don't, I don't care if you tell the bride, I'm not getting on the mic and forming a soul train line. So just at that moment, the father of the bride, who is, this is the aunt of the bride. So this is her brother comes up and the brother comes up and 
which is the bride's father, the, the, the brother of the woman that's, you know, the Karen that's talking to me. And he wanted something from me, but she starts yapping at him. He won't do this. He won't do this. He won't blah, 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 blah. And so I can't hear what he's saying at first. And then all of a sudden I hear him say really loudly, leave him alone. Referring to me, basically just telling her to bug off and let me do my thing. And, and so it was a Karen moment where I was actually vindicated by the client and the client was just like, he's doing a really good job. He knows what he's doing. Let him be. So that, that is, I guess, one of my favorite Karen stories. I can, you know, I'm sure, you know, think of a million others. They're just, they're just so uh, melded now into one another as a DJ, you know, when you're in like the bottle service type clubs, there's just, just every other night I had a girl one night that got so mad. Uh, this is actually another good one. this is the other time I got punched in the face in a nightclub. <laughs> but, um, so this girl it was Cavo it was the bottle service nightclub and it was bartenders new year's. And so we had this event once a year. It was like the Monday after new year's eve and all of the bartenders managers djs whatever from all the other nightclubs came to our nightclub we weren't normally open on mondays we were just open this one monday a year it was like a thousand person bottle service club and all the service industry people that had to work on new year's would come out on the monday after new year's and a lot of cities do this at various different venues so it's a fun event. It's all service industry. And at the end of the night, this girl comes up and I wouldn't even normally think of her almost as a traditional Karen, but she comes up and she wants me to page her boyfriend on the mic. And her boyfriend apparently managed another bar. And I said, no, I'm not paging anybody on the mic. Like you don't page people on the mic in 2020 in a nightclub. It's not or 2018, 19, whatever this was. I said, no, I'm not doing this. And she's like, well, can you help me look for him? Do you know who he, who he is? And I said, I, I don't know who he is. And she got so mad that I didn't know who her boyfriend was because she thought he was like big shit because he was a manager of a bar that she punched me in the face. This girl had to weigh like 120 pounds. Like it was not anything like- This I wasn't a Zeus punch? Down. Like, no, I mean, I didn't even probably flinch, <laughs> but- security saw it. I didn't even call them. They saw it and they just scooped her up. Security scooped her up with one arm and dragged her out. So that then, but it goes further. So the next day she leaves one of those, I'm sure you've seen them horrific reviews about Cavo on Facebook. That's basically like eight paragraphs long that she spent two hours writing this horrendous review about Cavo and gives it one star. Well, Paul, the owner of Cavo, who I don't know if you've ever met him personally, but I know you're familiar with Paul and Paul was not having that. So Paul goes and he actually pulls the video footage from this whole incident happening from me doing nothing. I'm just standing there. And then all of a sudden she socks me and then security taking her out. And then she tried to punch security when they <laughs> threw her out. And then her friends actually pulled her away from security. Her friends took her out on their own so that security didn't have to escort her out. And then her friends actually threw security like a 20 because they felt bad that she was trying to beat them up. So he actually 
goes back on Facebook and posts this all. And I don't remember if he posted the video or he might've just said, if you don't take your review down, I'm going to post the video. I can't remember which he did, but he did that. And then her review magically disappeared. So that was another good Karen story. That one's actually almost better. Um, so as we wind down here, we definitely have to wind down. I don't know actually how long this can record for. Great questions. I want to thank uh, everybody that actually, the one person or two people that actually ask good questions. <laughs> you can go fuck off. Um, Dave, anything you have to plug? Any, where can we find you? Where can people pay you? Where can you monetize? Where, where, where can you pay me? So, so anyways, um, well, my favorite thing to send everybody to is my Mixcloud page, which is mixcloud.com backslash DJ Digital Dave. And there are tons and tons of mixes on there. And I try to be very varied in my style of mixes. I have everything on there from the old Dirty Sunday mixes, which we just referenced, which is an old school hip hop and funk party in Tampa. I have very clubby EDM mixes on there. I have a Yacht Rock mix. I have a 2000s mix. I have a 90s mix. Currently, I'm working on actually a Valentine's mix that's going to go on Club Killers Throwback Radio. I'm also working on a 2000s pop punk mix. I am also working on, uh, well, this is actually almost pretty much done, but I'm holding it until May. I'm, I'm doing another Yacht Rock mix, and I did two different G-Funk mixes, and I'm holding all three of those till summertime because it's just, the, those are summertime mixes, you know. So uh, definitely Mixcloud. I, I want everybody to go listen to my mixes. I'm sure you're going to find something no matter what your musical tastes are that you like on there. And you can actually subscribe so you can listen to mixes for free on there. But if you pay $2.99 a month, you can actually listen as many times as you want. If you don't pay the $2.99, there's a limit on how much you can listen. You can't rewind, things like that. So you can definitely support me that way. And also, too, I've done a lot of crazy stuff this year, and it's been fun. Um, I've made a, done a lot of production work for people. I have um, a friend that I've made in Kansas City who has a great, phenomenal wedding band, and he's actually been having me put together DJs. I'm basically putting together a DJ set, and then his band is actually going to play these DJ sets as medleys as live medleys and so he's had me working on that with him um uh our good friend which we both know dana solomon had to do a crazy mega mix for avon the makeup company and they wanted basically to go from like 1920 to 2020 in music in three minutes wow. and i mashed up like she picked the songs with them and then I basically put together something like 26 songs in three minutes. It was insane how, you know, even for me, these songs were playing for eight seconds at a time or three That's songs nuts, layered over man. one another. It was a lot of fun. Um, but that being said, uh, even we, even a friend of ours, which is someone that we mutually know, but I'm not going to mention their name, but they actually had brain surgery during the summer and, and everything came out great for them, but they actually approached me about the, one of the things you do is they actually put headphones on you and you can listen to music or, or a book on tape or something like that while you're having the surgery. Well, they approached me about actually putting their favorite book on tape to music. So they pulled certain excerpts from the book and then certain songs they wanted. And I overlaid these songs to music 
And I've, I've also done during quarantine, I've done mixes for Stay Radio, uh, which is DJ Sprite's radio show on Pitbull's Globalization, which I'm actually going to be on there again in a week or two. And I've done sets for Sirius XM Fly, which is also a great old school uh, 90s and 2000s hip hop and R&B channel. So uh, I've done a lot of cool production work over the past year. So I guess where I'm going with this is if you have any crazy production ideas, some of these things that I've done were things I never imagined that I would do or even existed. So um, I love doing production work. If you have anything that you're interested in approaching me with, feel free to hit me up uh, on Instagram. If you want to tag me or follow me is at DJ Digital Dave one. Very nice, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, I can't um, express how gracious I am for you being here tonight. Um, yeah. Looking forward to, we'll have to do it again. I, I, I feel like we could do a whole episode full of Karen stories. Oh, I'm sure. Or we can do, we can do a whole episode. I can do a whole episode on Chrome on the after hours club. Trust <laughs> me. I can, I can, a dude got tased in the nuts there one night. And, and we'll, uh, send, we'll, we'll send you some Jaeger for that. Yeah, I, I will say too, it is it is a great idea getting your host buzzed up. I think <laughs> that they will be, I'm pretty much willing to be forthcoming anyway, but I think maybe some people might encourage them to become a little too forthcoming or, or more forthcoming if you get, get them buzzed up. So I, I've said it all. I've said too much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Dave definitely shared more with us than I've ever heard from him publicly. I've heard it all privately. Dave, thank you so much. Appreciate having you and have a good night. Thank you for the drink. It was, it was delicious. And I have, I have maybe a half serving left and I'm actually think I'm going to save it for Kelly. Not that I don't want it, but Kelly loves Tom Collins too. And she loves champagne. And so I think I'm going to save the, the remnants for her to give, give a shot to and and try it out tomorrow well our our next show i'll be sure to send too but have a good night and thank you so much dave sounds good thanks alex